So just to, to introduce my, myself as, as we get the IT together, um, just a, a quick show of hands, who is familiar with the UK Higher Education International Unit uh, of Universities UK? A few of you, okay. Um, for, for those of you who aren't, uh, perhaps I, I should give a quick overview of, of, of where I work as well as myself. Um, uh, so as Helen says, I am Head of Programme Outward Student Mobility at the UK Higher Education International Unit. We are, we are part of, of Universities UK, but we're also funded by, by other organisations, um, including Guild HE, um, the Higher Education Funding Councils um, across the UK, um, QAA and, and, and Higher Education Academy to, to deliver um, international um, uh, work for the higher education sector in the UK. So we, we in short, we, we work to identify international opportunities for the UK higher education sector um, with, with other stakeholders including the British Council and we promote the UK higher education sector overseas. It, it's traditionally been a, a, a policy-focused unit, but more recently we have moved into the delivery of programmes, um, including um, postgraduate support for, for other nations, including Kazakhstan, Indonesia, Science Without Borders programme for Brazil, um, and, and the, the programme that I work on, Go International, which is um, uh, designed to um, uh, work on our UK student outward mobility. Um, so just to give you a bit of background to, to the research that, that we've done, um, the, why I'm here is, is we, that we have a UK strategy for, for outward mobility in higher education. This has been um, in place for, for nearly two years now. It was um, embedded in the, uh, the International Education Strategy, which was published in um, July 2013 by Her Majesty's Government um, and the strategy itself uh, was launched in December 2013 by the then Minister for Universities and Science David Willits. The strategy was as a result of about a two-year process of, of consultation and development with the sector. The initial um, impetus was um, the introduction of higher tuition fees and the accompanying proposal to remove the fee waiver for the year abroad which caused some concern amongst the sector, particularly in courses that offered both a compulsory and an optional year abroad, and the impact it would have on participation on both of these due to the additional cost. So the international unit, in particular our chair, Professor Colin Reardon, um, made representation to the minister at the time, um, and uh, the minister took the, the, the advice on board and agreed to maintain some form of support for the year abroad, um, not in a fee waiver but in a fee cap. At the same time he recognised that there were wider issues around student mobility in the UK and, and asked uh, Professor Reardon to undertake a review of student mobility in the UK higher education sector. Um, to explore the wider challenges um, that the sector was facing in terms of take-up noting that there had been an increase um, in participation, slowly rising, particularly in Erasmus, but there were still issues around uh, progressing that. So the, the Reardon Review was presented to the Minister in November 2012. Its main recommendation that was that there be a centralised UK higher education sector strategy to promote outward mobility, um, specifically of UK domicile students. Um, so, recognising the excellent work that UK universities were already doing, but helping them to capitalise on that, providing a centralised resource where possible to, to push that forward even further and, and facilitate an increase um, in UK student mobility. 
So the Go International programme that I work on, I've given you um, a, a URL here, but obviously the slides will be shared, um, is implementing the strategy. The, the overall aim of the strategy is to increase the proportion of UK domicile students um, accessing an international experience as part of their higher education. So that's at all levels of education, undergraduate, postgraduate research. We are focused on UK domiciles. Um, and, and you may note that I'm not quoting a, a headline figure. I'm not aiming for, I'm not giving you a, we're aiming for X hundred thousand students or X percentage. And, and there is a reason for that. I'm not dodging the issue. Um, I know that there are other countries, obviously there are lots of other countries with, with strategies now or initiatives to promote outward mobility, particularly some of our English speaking um, uh, nations such as Australia and the US, um, which may be setting targets, but we, we do have a specific reason why why we haven't got a numerical figure yet. So it's a very collaborative strategy. Um, our main stakeholders are the universities themselves. We are we are working most closely with the universities because we are a, a sector-facing organisation. But we also have other key uh, partners in, in delivering it that we, we couldn't um, deliver the strategy without. Um, uh, without these, all of these partners work together to increase uh, student mobility. Just to give you a, a quick um, uh, overview of what our strategic objectives are, they are not in any order of importance. They may be numbered, but that is not in, in any order of importance. Um, and, and all of these objectives uh, uh, are designed to help us achieve the aim of increasing the proportion by, by helping UK universities to help themselves, really, by building on the existing um, innovations and, and programmes that they've put in place to increase mobility, uh, and by helping them um, uh, build capacity and, and inform their own strategic planning uh, to promote mobility. And, and I'll go in a, in a little bit more detail about how, how we're, we're delivering these objectives um, in more detail. So just to give you a little bit of a background uh, to the challenges we have to increasing participation. Um, these were primarily identified during the Reardon review but have uh, been reiterated uh, ever since, since the programme has been in place. Um, one of the main issues that was, was raised that there was no one place to go for information um, on outward mobility, whether that be opportunities available, research available, um, and all there's lots of different uh, ways that UK students can be mobile. There's lots of different funding programs, that, but there's no one point uh, of information. So we have created a um, a, a website, the Go International website, which we're using as an online information hub to signpost to um, the various uh, types of information. Financial barriers are well. These are. These are various. I mean, it's, it's obvious to say that study abroad or, or work placements abroad will have an additional cost, um, you know, particularly if you're a home-based student then and you have no uh, rent to pay at university and then you go abroad, then you do have to pay rent. There's practical financial barriers like that as well, giving up part-time work to go, go overseas for any period of time, um, being locked into an accommodation contract. Um, as well, which actually happened to me, so I feel quite strongly about that. Um, um, but so it's not just about the cost of, of, of the program itself or, or the airfare, it's about the other costs as well. Institutional barriers, uh, again, are, are various. So it, it may be um, 
where a student can fit that, that overseas experience into the, the curriculum, the type of opportunity that's available to them. It may be the influence of their academic tutors as well. Anecdotally, uh, and through the research that we found, um, uh, which I'll go into more detail, that, that the influence of those tutors is, is quite important. So if an academic tutor is, is concerned about the impact on that, that student's uh, 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 learning outcomes, their academic profile, then the student may be dissuaded from going abroad. And then there are also more practical operational uh, institutional barriers sometimes as well um, that we've had reported to us. The cohort effect is, is quite strong. Um, obviously, if you're a language undergraduate, then most of your, um, your uh, cohorts are going to be going abroad as well. You won't feel left out. If you're a mathematics undergraduate, it's slightly more problematic. You may be the only one in your cohort who is considering going abroad. Universities do report that they have a lot of interest now for um, study abroad and overseas work experience. Often at open days, they might be the most popular uh, stall at the fair, but when those students get to university, often the interest can drop off, and that, is, that can in some way be attributed to the cohort effect. And there is the old chestnut of new boyfriend, new girlfriend, but it's, it's, I think it's more complicated than that. Um, and communicating opportunities. Universities do report to us that no matter how heavily they market overseas experience opportunities, often students will get to their final year and come in and say, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Um, and so we have, we have a real challenge there um, in terms of, of raising awareness uh, with students and helping universities do that. So I mentioned we didn't have a target. Um, the reason is, um, I, when I naively came into the role of, of, of heading the Outward Student Mobility Programme, um, I skipped happily into the building thinking, right, well, we'll have a baseline and then we'll be able to set a target. Um, and it became quickly apparent to me that we didn't really have a very robust baseline to work from. Um, Beers and Hisa uh, would, would give us slightly conflicting information. We had a minister that would happily use statistics in his speeches and we would spend three days trying to find out where he got that statistic from. Um, uh, so we felt that realistically what we had to do is establish a really um, uh, accurate or the most accurate possible baseline um, before we could set some realistic um, if aspirational targets. Um, the most important outcome probably of the Reardon review, even probably more important than the strategy, was that Professor Reardon wrote to HESA and um, uh, asked that the way that mobility uh, is recorded in the HESA data returns be changed. So we ha now have more uh, categories in the HESA uh, annual uh, data on mobility than we had before. The first year of this new data, it was the 2013-14. So this is the year that we will be using for our baseline. To, to just quickly summarise what those changes are, I, I think the most important change to note is that we're moving from recording a minimum of three months mobility to one week mobility. For the basis of the programme and our, our KPIs, we're counting mobilities of two weeks or more, but we, we report on, on the full picture of mobility. And this is, is to give us a, a greater idea of what mobility is taking place. Um, so to the strategic objective we have of creating a flexible definition of mobility is to, we know that it's beyond the year abroad, the semester abroad, and, and trying to get a better picture of the, the different types of mobility that go forward. The caveat to this data is that not all data on mobility is reported to HESA. 
as yet. We know that obviously planning offices have decisions to make about what puts in what they put in their heat of return and we are working quite hard with individual universities to to report their own data back to them so that they can work more closely with their planning offices and that we can we have this round educated process. So as you can see that the total number of UK domicile students that went abroad last year was 22,100 reported to HESA. Uh, this equates to about 1.2% of UK students. Um, unsurprisingly, the 96% of those reported were undergraduate mobilities. Um, so that's a, a, a quite a big area. Um, we, we suspect, um, in fact, we, 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 we know that there is a lot more mobility goes on at postgraduate level. Um, that is not being reported. So that is a, an area of where we want to do more work uh, around the data. 74% of mobilities that reported were study abroad, which I think is quite an interesting um, area for us to look at today in this context, that there is a lot of potential for growth in overseas work placements. Um, obviously, there are some challenges to that, um, not least um, because um, perhaps UK students' language skills are, are not as strong as we would like them to be. So that may limit um, uh, the range of, of European work placements that they can do. But nonetheless, I think that there's, there's real potential for growth in, in work placements. So I think that's re very relevant for us here today. So just to talk a little bit about, about how we, we work as a programme. Um, obviously, we we are really trying to raise the profile of outward mobility in UK universities. Um, this is this is the main f focus for us. We're not we're not a student facing organisation. We're trying to raise the profile and uh, and make the case for the importance of mobility at the UK sector level. Um, we have. We have a strategy board that's made up of, um, of, of senior representatives from UK universities, including Helen, um, and um, the devolved administrations as well. Um, we have a very active community of practice made up of over 80 UK institutions of all um, sizes and specialisms. They're a very, very vocal expert forum for us in terms of driving um, uh, where we need to do research, where we need to focus policy efforts as well. And, and they really help us be a collective voice for the sector. So where we need to, to lobby on behalf of the sector, whether that be around fee policy, uh, we've had some recent issues around the implementation of the new Erasmus Plus programme that we've had to, to raise issues on behalf of the sector, that, that they're, they're a good voice, uh, help us be a good voice for the sector on that. Certainly we, we like to raise the profile of the strategy in universities actively by, by going around and meeting as many um, uh, academic colleagues as we possibly can. Um, we, so we, we do come and visit your university if you so like. But we also trying to raise the profile of the strategy overseas. I think it, it does have political implications because, as I mentioned, lots of countries now are implementing overseas mobility strategies or initiatives. Um, and certainly it is of interest to other countries that the UK, which has been traditionally seen as uh, a receiving market, is now also working very much to send its students out. In our website and, and our other activities, through the international unit, we're, we're always trying to identify new opportunities for outward mobility. Um, and we, we talk um, 
uh, weekly with other overseas governments and they're frequently uh, updating us with scholarship opportunities which we flag up on our website. But I think lastly really it's that, it's that making the case uh, for mobility which is our most important role. Um, while, while we try to do that at institution level we also need to do that strategically through campaigning but also most importantly through our research programme. So just to remind you before I go into the research program why it is important to, to promote mobility. As I said, we are in the we are embedded very much in the government's international education strategy, and that's seen as, as part of a 360 degree international higher education. Um, so as I mentioned, it's not just about recruiting international students to the UK, it's about getting our own students that international experience as well. Anecdotally, from a, from a sector point of view, most students who've been abroad tend to, to report a very positive student experience, so it's, it's very good for the, the NSS results, um, and, and it's something that we've been trying to do, actually get a specific question uh, embedded in the National Student Survey, um, so that students can reflect on their mobility. From a, from a university point of view as well, that the, the strategic role of outward mobility has, has come out very strongly. When we work with our, with our stakeholders, they tell us that they use mobility as a, as a vehicle to um, promote um, and to foster, to create new strategic partnerships. So it might be as a way of building a link with an institution that they want to uh, make a research collaboration with, uh, to get into an overseas market, and also um, to promote staff mobility as well. And staff mobility is a great multiplier for student mobility. For the UK in particular, we, with our paid-for UK education system, balance is an issue. So we need um, to, to make sure that we, we keep the balance between incoming and outgoing um, exchange students. Um, this is particularly important in several markets, um, uh, Europe and the US are, are good examples, but it's, it's, it's a key uh, uh, factor for the UK sector. But most importantly, I think, is, is to talk about that the the research that we have on, on in, the improved outcomes for students, both academically and, and, and very relevant for today around um, their employability outcomes. So there's, there's quite a lot of research about um, uh, the general employability of students um, at post-mobility. And, and this is quite some general research which is not directly linked to mobility. So some of you will be familiar with, it, with these, uh, the annual CBI Education and Skills Surveys. They've been running for several years now and continually um, report employers' dissatisfaction with graduates' uh, foreign language skills and their international cultural awareness. Uh, those percentages stay fairly static every year. It's usually about 40% uh, of, of employers are very dissatisfied with graduates' international cultural awareness and about 50% with their foreign language skills. The, um, well, what is now NCUB but was then CIHE and, and the Association of Graduate Recruiters joint research into global graduates uh, back in 2011 really highlighted the importance to employers of working in an international team and communication skills. Now these are both skills that universities report um, that students develop on, on their, their study abroad or, or work overseas work placements. So it's, it's quite an important uh, research trend for us. We have 
We have a whole section on our website about uh, the literature review on employability. It, it, there's, a, there's a section on there and um, I will send the link to, to Francois that he can share with you afterwards because it, it may be useful in your research. It's just too much to capture on, on, on slides. Also, very recently, uh, the European Commission carried out an impact survey of, of the Erasmus programme. And that had some very uh, interesting uh, statistics in there about um, the employment rate of students. Again, I, it's, it's quite detailed and it is available on our website, but I've captured two highlights here. Um, the unemployment rate of mobile students is 23% is lower than that of non-mobile students five years after graduation, which is a significant um, statistic. Obviously, this is Europe-wide, but nonetheless, it's, it's a very important statistic, given that we, are prop we have some way to go in with our European counterparts and participating in Erasmus. Um, you'll also see in terms of, of entry into the job market that there are some quite interesting data. So 39% of the alumni of the Erasmus programme uh, did not have a management position 30, five years after graduation. And that was 47, number rose to 47% of the non-mobile counterparts. So I think that's that's quite interesting. It's not just about the fact they're in their employment rate, but it's where they are in the job market and their progression. Um, I should also say that Hefke have did some work way back in 2009 around the um, uh, mobile students' performance as well, which is which is a, a really good study as well. A bit out of date now, but it's still a useful platform for everything we do. So I've already shown you that we, we capture the HESA data annually and analyse that for our own um, progress uh, um, reports, but also for the benefit of the sector. We have carried out a, a, an extensive research programme in the last 12 months and, and continue to do so. Um, the three main projects that we've had this year and been published this year were um, uh, two pieces um, uh, speaking to particular communities in partnership. So we had a survey of academics um, in underrepresented subjects in mobility, uh, which we conducted with the Higher Education Academy and published earlier this year. That was focusing on, the rationale was to identify some champions in underrepresented subjects, but as a result came out with some very interesting findings, which I'll, I'll, I'll go through with you. We also published very recently in September um, a big piece of work uh, which we commissioned with the British Council, which was uh, carried out for us by CRAC, uh, which looked at student perspectives on going international. Um, I won't talk in too much detail about that because my colleague Steve, who was actually one of the researchers on the project, is going to give you more detail on that. And possibly most importantly for, for today is um, our work that we did on um, academic and employment outcomes. Uh, which is a, a very uh, focused piece looking at the HESA student record, comparing it with the Delhi data for 2012-13 and comparing the outcomes of mobile versus non-mobile students. So I'll go through the findings of that in some detail. Just to, to run through the academic perspectives research we did. As I say, this was, this was mainly qualitative, it was conducted, there was a survey and some one-to-one some -one, um, interviews with academics in, in key underrepresented subjects. Um, so we didn't talk to any language academics here or, or, or business because they're very strongly uh, represented. The research showed that the, the academics we spoke to noted um, really uh, strong benefits to the students, both academically and personally, so they, they came back 
they were better performing in their course but also they, they so in terms of personal growth they had they had altered quite a lot um, primarily the the mobility that we we identified in this result uh, in this research was Erasmus so and also the academics did say that they that there was a need to really think beyond Erasmus mobility and that often when they spoke to academic colleagues academics tended to think of mobility as Erasmus so th th there needs to be some education I think at, at institution level there certainly uh, they reported that they found that short-term interventions so sending students for even a week or two encouraged them to participate in longer periods of mobility later on in their studies so it was quite difficult to find where they fitted that in but certainly um, they re they reported a, a real um, increase in interest in mobility after even just a short exposure they also very interestingly we asked them about how they tracked student outcomes so the research showed quite interestingly that most universities don't systematically record pre and post mobility outcomes there are there are a few that do it on an ad hoc basis often because a member of staff just feels like doing it and they will track a, you know a cohort of students and look at their their results before they've been abroad and and look at them when they come back but there's no systematic recording of that across the piece and and that's that's a really interesting finding for us and actually one of the recommendations of the report was that we we work with policymakers to try and find some way to to facilitate that across the uk sector and lastly but by no means least that academic champions are, are key to increasing student mobility i mentioned you know in the challenges that we face that often academic tutors can be reluctant to send students overseas or or may just you know, discourage might be a strong word, but it has been used. Um, but actually, having an academic champion across a, a range of dis subject disciplines is key to increasing mobility. Again, I won't dwell on this too much because I know Steve is, is probably going to cover this in more detail in his presentation. But this uh, this is the key findings of the the research that we commissioned with the British Council. And, and, and why I include it is because you'll notice there's quite a lot of crossover between the students' perspectives and the academics' perspectives. Um, so the students are motivated by having a, a, a great experience or an interesting new international experience, but they, they also are motivated by in enhanced employability. So they, they think that that mobility will have an impact on their, their careers. Um, they're more focused on their, their academic study when they come back, which is a lovely key message to give back to those academics who think that they might, it might affect their progress. Um, obviously they have concerns around funding and safety, but that nonetheless um, they, they are motivated uh, academically. Interestingly, as, as per the academics um, who felt that short-term mobility um, uh, increase in interest in longer term actually we, we noted that in the student perspectives as well but interestingly as, as, a, as a, alongside that students perceive the same benefits from short-term and year-long mobility and I know that there are many people that would challenge that and, and it may be the case that, that, that they, there is no similar benefit between the two but the students perceive that if they go away for a short period of time then they get as many personal and um, career benefits as they do if they went away for a year so that's interesting for, for universities to note 
also um, and, and I know Steve will cover this more probably but that academic voice is important um, again in, in promoting take-up of opportunities so there's definitely some parallels between between the two pieces of research there which is good corroboration is always helpful um, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about the employability uh, work that we've done, or the employment outcomes work that we've done, um, given the, the focus of this event. This is a, a cohort study, so it's, it's not attempting to establish any causation or correlation, um, but it's a comparison of the outcomes of mobile versus non-mobile students who graduated in 2012-13. So we looked at the HESTA student record for these students. Um, these are the students that responded to the, the Delhi survey for that year, so six months after graduation. Um, and we compared the outcomes of the, the two groups. Um, it's, it's something that we're going to do annually, actually. We, in fact, I, before I came here today, I had a meeting to look at the initial findings from the 13-14 data. So it's something that we will, we will publish annually um, in, the, in the spring of each year. Um, and hopefully after a few years, we'll be able to track some trends. Um, for the most part, it's across the piece look at, at mobile students and their outcomes, but we did have a spotlight on STEM subjects as well. Uh, and that came out of the analysis because when we looked at the data that came back, we noticed that for STEM subjects there were some particularly marked outcomes that we felt we should pull out. And not least because STEM subjects are traditionally <coughs> underrepresented in mobility. So to start with the academic outcomes, um, uh, a much higher proportion of, of mobile students achieved a first or two one. I hope you can read that slide, it's a bit faint. Um, uh, obviously, some of you may be thinking, well, yes, but uh, universities do, <coughs> do select their best students to go on mobility programmes, which is, is, which is often the case, but there are obviously other mobility programmes which are work on another basis and application um, procedures. So I think it, it's still a, an interesting finding to note. Um, the second stat you will see are, is actually focusing on mobile students from disadvantaged backgrounds. So those are students whose um, family background is from the, the lower four socioeconomic categories. Um, and as you'll see, there is a, a, a real a difference between the, the two groups. So 83% of mobile students from disadvantaged backgrounds achieved a first or two one compared to 66% of their, their not mobile counterparts. So that's, that's quite important, I think, in today's social mobility uh, policy agenda. That, that, that's something for us to look at. And for STEM subjects, because th these were our spotlight group, again, you'll see that there's a, a, a pretty similar difference between those and, and, and students from um, uh, disadvantaged backgrounds. Let's talk about employment <coughs> rates. So. Um, we took language graduates out of the equation. Um, we tend to try and take them out as much as possible because they can skew the figures. But certainly, um, uh, in terms of employment rates, um, mobile students were, were less likely to be unemployed than their non-mobile counterparts. Um, so about 5.3% 5 5 of mobile students were, were unemployed, for this cohort, I should stress, um, compared to 6% of those that were non-mobile. Um, we also looked at salary as well. How many, how many students are we talking? How many respondents are we talking about? Oh, good question. Sorry, I've muddied with today's figures because I had a meeting about it um, today. Um, 
Let me just check that. 233,000 UK domiciled in this analysis. Is, is that disaggregated by postgraduate or undergraduate? Not in this, no. Well, these are undergraduates. And do you have a by subject now? Yes, get to that. Yeah, um, yeah. no, these are all undergraduates um, uh, in this survey. Um, we also looked at salary differentials and um, and job roles in terms of, so to, to you think about that Erasmus impact study that we did, certainly the, the students were, there was a, there was a slight salary differential for students who'd been mobile. They were, on average, they were earning about £600 a year more than their non-mobile students. So not that big a difference. However, you know, well, I suppose six months after graduation, some of them might think that that is a difference. Um, they were also more likely to go in at managerial or professional uh, occupational level than um, their non-mobile students as well. Um, I have got a few copies of the research with me actually, so if anyone wants to catch me at lunchtime and you can have it in full. Um, I've also, the, the dark blue box is, is, is the STEM unemployment rate. As I said, we, we spotlighted on STEM subjects in this cohort analysis. Um, and I think, um, although overall in, in, overall in STEM subjects, the unemployment rate wasn't that different, um, we have pulled out two key areas where there was a, a, a significant difference in computer science. Um, you might argue all computer scientists graduates should be mobile because they, they has a, it has a real difference on their unemployment rates. But in engineering and technology as well, um, which again is, is a very underrepresented subject, engineering. Um, uh, so that was an interesting finding for us to pull out. Um, so that's the overall rates. I'll go on now um, just to talk about certain student profiles. So again we looked at um, students from the, the four lower socio-economic categories um, and again they were significantly uh, less likely to be unemployed than their non-mobile counterparts so only five percent of those that responded from those categories were unemployed compared to 7.6 percent. For BMA, for BME students um, uh, Again, a significant <coughs> proportion. Um, in terms of uh, rates of participation, so about 6% of the, the students that responded to this survey, about 6.6% were um, from, from white uh, uh, ethnic, uh, ethnic background. Um, this equates to about 3.3% 3, 3 of their participation uh, in the survey. So, and, and the disadvantaged students, about 2.6%. So um, there, there again, there are a smaller proportion of those uh, participating in mobility, but they have some fairly compelling uh, outcomes. It's, it's a, it's, it's also has a subject breakdown, which is impossible to put in a slide. So because um, it's long, but we did look at that, not just the STEM subjects, but we have got in the in the full report, which you can access. It has got a list of all the subjects, and we will be doing that on an annual basis as well. Not just because there are several subjects that are underrepresented. Yes, there is some gender information in there. I I never include the gender information in my research because I always think it's vaguely uninteresting with mobility. But it's more females than males are mobile. But but we do have a, a gender breakdown in there as well. Um, it's not it's not the most compelling piece of evidence in the research, I have to say. Um, 
It may be more compelling in 2013-14. Spoiler alert. Um, yes, yeah. Um, so just to, to pick on that, um, and, and the inspiration that we get from these areas of research, I'm conscious of time, but the, the salary differential is, is, is one. I mean, I mentioned it's quite small in that cohort study that we've done. But I think for us, what, what we would really like to explore longitudinally is whether that salary differential continues to grow over time. So if mobile students are more likely over the course of their career to earn more money. Certainly the Erasmus Impact Study indicates that, but that's something we would like to track for the UK domiciled um, group. Um, in terms of equality of opportunity, um, as, as I mentioned, certainly in that cohort study, but also in he the HESA data overall, students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds are less likely to participate in mobility. Um, and also part-time students, um, there are also groups of students who are never ever going to be able to go on study abroad or overseas work placements due to commitments at home, they might be caring for a child or a parent or another family member, part-time students find it particularly difficult. And I think we have an issue around equality of opportunity, particularly if we, when we do research that demonstrates there are particularly beneficial outcomes in terms of career or, or academic process, we need to, to look at equality of opportunity for students. And I think, um, hopefully this will segue quite nicely into Steve's piece, uh, to look at uh, the skills developed uh, or exhibited by mobile graduates. One of the main things I get asked uh, when I go to university is, can you do some research with employers? Um, well, I could, but I'm never too sure how, how to make that very valuable. I don't think it would be very valuable to go around and conduct 10 interviews with major multinational HR departments who would say, yes, yeah, we really like mobile graduates, yeah, yeah. It's more about drilling down, what I would like to do is drill down to those skills that are developed uh, or exhibited by mobile graduates. So why do you, wh why do they like, because often employers are not they're not going to come out and say, yes, if you've been abroad, we'll employ you. If you've done an overseas work placement, we'll employ you. Because they will always be nervous about doing that. They're looking for the individual skill set. But if, they can, if we can get them to pick out what skills those mobile graduates exhibited that they really liked, then not only does that help us market mobility in terms of, you know, this is why um, mobility is great for your career, but it will also help us with, with those undergraduates, those postgraduates, help them articulate the skills they've developed in their applications, which I think is, is very important to the equality of opportunity and also in terms of the employability of UK graduates overall. So I'm, I'm gonna leave it there on that note. Obviously, um, feel free to interrogate me uh, about the detail of the research uh, in the panel session, and I have copies with me for those who want to take it away. That's Thank it. Thank you very much.